Boy, it's good to be back at Bightley Community Church. And as Ken said, it just doesn't seem possible that it's already been a year since last year's conference. I want to thank Pastor Lyons and the leadership here at the church for inviting me to participate in your conference. Our theme this week is glorying in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to be considering the second half of the book of Galatians, having considered the first half of the book of Galatians last year. Our text this evening is going to begin in Galatians 4 and verse 19. But I'd like to begin tonight with the story of a man who was visiting the New York City Zoo when suddenly a ferocious lion grabbed a little girl and was obviously planning on making her his lunch. Quick as a flash, this man leaped to his, her rescue, punched that ferocious lion in the nose with a mighty blow, causing him to release the little girl. And then he returned her to her grateful parents. Well, about that time, a reporter from the New York Times jumped up and, and said, Wow, that was amazing. I'm going to write about that in the newspaper tomorrow. And the man said, well, you know, I was just doing what any born-again Christian would do. Well, the next day, he knew that the New York Times doesn't always favor Christianity. So he checked to see if the reporter was true to his word. Sure enough, he opened the newspaper, and the headlines read, Right-wing Christian extremists assaults African immigrant and steals his lunch. <laughs> well, I'm certain that in this mythical story, those parents were just thrilled to get their little daughter back because our children are very dear to us, aren't they? Well, the Apostle Paul's children were dear to him as well. I direct your attention now to Galatians 4 and verse 19. In Galatians 4:19, Paul says to the Galatians, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. Now, you know, of course, that when the Apostle Paul talks about his little children, hey, the Apostle Paul was not married as far as we know. Well, he's not talking about physical children, is he? He's talking about how he had led these Galatians to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was their father in the faith. On my desk at Berean Bible Society, I have a picture of the man who led me to the Lord, and I consider him to be my spiritual father. By the way, if Paul's spiritual children, if they were his spiritual children, 
doesn't that mean they must have had a spiritual birth? And I say that because one of the questions that I frequently get asked at Brian Bible Society is, are believers in the dispensation of grace born again? You know, there are some grace believers who believe and teach that the new birth is only for the people of Israel. But uh, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, I have begotten you through the gospel, didn't he? And then he said to Philemon about Onesimus, I have begotten him in my bond. And then he told the Corinthians, you guys are babes in Christ. Well, hey, the only way you get to be a baby is by having a birth. So I believe and teach that we today are born again. Now, when the apostle here talks about travailing in birth, all of you ladies know what he's talking about. He's talking about labor pains, isn't he? And all the ladies will tell you that Sometimes labor pains are just a few minutes, but sometimes they are many, many hours. And I think the same is true spiritually as well. Uh, I was a pushover. As soon as someone showed me how I could know for sure I was saved, I said, where do I get in line and sign up for that? I was saved in minutes. But other people, maybe some of you, took you many weeks, months, maybe even years of labor pains for whoever was trying to give birth to you and lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the Apostle Paul gave birth to these Galatians, didn't he? But now they have fallen into false doctrine. And so he says, My little children of whom I travail in birth again, as he struggled to help them battle the false doctrine. He says, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm giving birth to you all over again. Now, he wasn't talking about helping them to get saved again. The Bible never talks about being born again and again and again and again and again. Some preachers talk about that. The Bible does not. No, Paul is talking about uh, travailing in birth again uh, to help them to grow up in the Lord until, as he says at the end of verse 19, until Christ be formed in you. You know, as babies grow up, we begin to see the form of their parents in them, don't we? Oftentimes, Children resemble their parents in size and in shape and in form. Well, as Christians grow in the Lord, we should see the form of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. Isn't that true? Maybe you're wondering, well, how does that happen? How do we get to to bring the form of the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives? Well, I like to compare it to an old sculptor's joke. Uh, The old sculptor's joke says, how do you carve an elephant? And the answer is, you start with this really big block of granite, and then you chip away everything that doesn't look like an elephant. (laughs) 
Well, that sounds easy, doesn't it? But if you've ever tried to do any sculpturing, you know it's not that easy. Well, spiritually, if you want to form the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, all you got to do is chip away everything that doesn't look like the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Sounds easy. But as you know, it isn't as easy as it sounds. Now the question is, does God give us any tools to do the chipping with, to help us to form Christ in our lives? Well, the Galatians were being told, you know, the law of Moses would be an excellent tool to help you form Christ in your life. <clears throat> so Paul tells them in the next verse, verse 20, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Now, of course, when he's talking about changing his voice, he means the tone of his voice. You see, when he'd been with them in Galatia, he'd used a very kind tone of voice. But now, now that they have fallen into false doctrine, I think if he were there, he would be using a much stern, sterner tone of voice. He would be scolding them because, as he says here, I stand in doubt of you. Now here, I want you to understand something. When he says, I stand in doubt of you, he, it didn't mean he, he was doubting that they were really saved. You know how I know that? Nine times in this book, he calls them brethren. He never once doubted that they were his brethren in the Lord. He didn't doubt their salvation, but he was concerned that they'd been affected by the law of Moses. And so he says in verse 21, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? Whenever I read those words, I think of the, the joke I heard about a man back in the 1920s who invented a time machine and went forward into the future. As he was about to return back to the 1920s, someone asked him, what did you like best about the future? And he thought for a moment and he said, well, television was kind of nice. And the other man said, well... If you think TV was nice, you didn't see enough of it. <laughs> well, I think that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law. Have you heard the law? If you want to be under the law, you just haven't heard enough of it. So he, in the very next verse, quotes a little bit of the law in verse 22. In verse 22, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Now, when he begins the verse, It is written, remember how he just finished calling them my little children? So what he's doing is he's gathering them together and said, All right, my little children, let me tell you a story. You see, back in the third chapter, the Apostle Paul had, had mounted this tremendous, forceful, legal argument against believers being under the law of Moses. But, 
the Apostle Paul was smart enough to know not everybody is mature enough to be able to follow and understand a great theological argument. But everybody loves a story. And so Paul says, I'm going to tell you a story that will illustrate that putting yourself under the law means putting yourself in bondage. Look at uh, the verse again. Tell me ye that desire to be under the law, don't ye hear the law? It is written that Abraham had two sons. What were their names? Anybody? Ishmael and Isaac. And like many families, they had the same father, but they had two different mothers. One was by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Well, you know, the free woman was Abraham's wife, Sarah. And you know that the bondmaid was Hagar. That was Sarah's bondmaiden, I guess you would say. And you know the story. God promised Abraham a son. And Abraham waited patiently for, I think it was about ten years. No son. So Sarah says, well, maybe I'm barren. Uh, try my servant Hagar here. And Abraham did. Now I'm convinced that both of them meant well. Both of them were trying to help God keep his promise. But God didn't need their help keeping his promise, did he? <laughs> so he waited, I think it was 15 more years until both of them were way too old to have children. And then Sarah had a son named Isaac. But in verse 23, he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. When it says that Ishmael, son of Hagar, was born after the flesh, well, I think you know what it's talking about. I think that when Abraham produced Ishmael, it was by fornication. And you know what the Bible calls fornication. It calls it the flesh. So Ishmael was born after the flesh. But my dear friends, there is another kind of flesh in the Bible. And it's being symbolized here. And unless you understand that, you'll never understand the book of Galatians, and you won't understand much of Romans either. Put a marker here. Well, we're not going far. Uh, go back to Galatians and the third chapter. Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, I direct your attention to verse 2. <clears throat> Galatians 3 and verse 2. Paul says, I got a question for you, Galatians. Galatians 3, 2. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish? having begun in the Spirit by being saved by grace through faith, are you now made perfect by the flesh? <laughs> now, i got a question for you. How many of you think that the Galatians thought they were being made perfect by fornication? 
<laughs> Nobody's that dumb. No. They thought they were being made perfect by the law of Moses. Sometimes in your Bible, and mostly in Galatians and Romans, the flesh refers to the law of Moses. And my friends, that's huge. Because it shows us how vitally important it is to rightly divide the word of truth. Hey, there was a time in God's program that the law was not fleshly. The law was spiritual. It was part of God's program. Now, it's carnal. It's fleshly. It's sinful. And they say rightly dividing the word isn't important. <laughs> you can't even know the full definition of the flesh unless you rightly divide the word. They also say, you know, you great preachers, you don't preach on sin enough. Have you heard that one? I have. Oh, my dear friends, we preach on sins that a lot of preachers don't even know are sins. Law, the legalism and the law and putting yourself under it. Go back with me to Galatians 4 and verse 23. When it says that Ishmael was born after the flesh, it means he was born after the flesh of his father's fornication, but he is a symbol of this other kind of flesh, the flesh of the law. And he's a real good symbol, and here's why. And if you don't get anything else out of tonight's message, listen to this part. This is, I think, the key to the passage. God promised Abraham a son, and he said, I'm just going to give you that son. All Abraham had to do was rest in God's promise. But what did he do instead? He tried to help God keep his promise with the works of his flesh and produced Ishmael. The point is, God promised the Galatians eternal life as a gift, and all they had to do was rest in God's promise. And you know what they were doing instead? They were trying to help God keep his promise by the works of a different kind of flesh, by the works of the law. Well, it says of Isaac that he was by promise. He that was of the free woman was by promise. Isaac was a symbol of the Spirit, a symbol of grace, a, a symbol of the liberty that we have from the law. And he was a good symbol of those things. Because God waited until Abraham's flesh was dead as far as his ability to father a child was concerned before he gave him a child. He didn't give Isaac to Abraham until Abraham knew that he couldn't fulfill God's promise by his own effort. Well, we have a word for that. We call that grace, right? You don't get saved until you know you can't produce salvation on your own. That's grace. 
That's why the next verse says that these things are an allegory. Verse 24. In verse 24, he says, these things are an allegory. Now, what's an allegory? Well, it's from the Greek word allos, which means another of the same kind. And what he's saying is, I'm going to give you an example of the same kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you a story that's the same as the Bible truth I'm trying to teach you. That's an allegory. And then he says these things are an allegory for these are the two covenants. Well, there's a lot of covenants mentioned in the Bible, aren't there? Which two do you think he's talking about? Take a wild guess. He's talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. And you know that because he says the one from Mount Sinai which gendereth the bondage is Hagar. Now what happened on Mount Sinai? Hey, isn't that where Moses got the old covenant of the law? Oh, yeah. And he says in this verse that this covenant from Mount Sinai genders to bondage, which is Hagar. Hagar's son Ishmael was a slave. And you know what the point is he's trying to make? If you put yourself under the law, you put yourself in bondage. In verse 25, he says, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answers to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Now, when he's talking about Jerusalem, which now is, he meant that city that was existing over there. And, the, uh, and, and what do we know about the people who lived in the Jerusalem of Paul's day? They were the ones who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and clung to Moses and the law of Moses, didn't they? They told the Lord Jesus, well, you say this, but the law says that and we're clinging to what the law said. The Lord came to set them free and they clung to Moses. And as a result of that, it says here, that they were in bondage with their children. All those people who were still living in the city of Jerusalem at that time. What's Paul's point? Once again, the Galatians were saved by grace through faith. Freeborn! Like that. Gives me an excuse to take this off. The Galatians were saved by grace through faith, freeborn, but they wanted to be under the law. And Paul's saying, you know what you're, you're asking for and you don't even know it. You're asking to be in slavery. Why would anyone ever want to be in slavery? What in the world would make you look at slavery and say, yeah, I like that. Uh, that appeals to me. <laughs> well, you know what? There is a certain amount of comfort in slavery. Did you know that? Did you know that after the Civil War and the slaves in our country were free, you know what a lot of them did? A lot of them decided to stay with their masters, especially the ones who had not been mistreated 
because they didn't know how to live free. And they were intimidated by it. A modern example we might give is you hear about a man sometimes he's been in prison for 60 years and he gets out and he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't know how to handle freedom. So much so that he commits a crime so he can get sent back in. Hey, in prison he had food, he had meals, he, he had medicine, he had security. He gets out and he doesn't know how to live on his own. When he was in the joint, uh, he was told what time to get up, what he could eat, when to go to sleep. That's what the law does. The law tells you what you can eat and what you can't eat. Read Leviticus chapter 11. The law tells you what you can touch and what you can't touch. Touch not, taste not, handle not. The law even told them what time of day to pray. Did you ever hear of the hour of prayer? You and I look at that and say, why would you need to be told what hour to pray? Why would you want to be told what hour to pray? But that's what they were signing up for. We want to be under the law that tells us all these things. Because, my friends, a lot of Christians need the comfort of being told what to do and when to do it. And if you're here tonight and you're afraid to live without the law, oh, my friends, God wants you free from the law. In verse 26, he says, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Did you know there was a Jerusalem in heaven? Yeah. Say, wow, who lives there? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. My brother lives in a kind of an affluent subdivision that has their own little lake stocked with all kinds of game fish. And they can go fishing there anytime they want. And I'll tell you what, the people who live in that subdivision have money and lots of it. They're a lot like Casey in that respect. <laughs> but you know who lives in New Jerusalem? Look with me at Hebrews 12 and verse 22. Hebrews 12, verse 22. In Hebrews 12, 22... It says, but ye are come unto Mount Zion. And you think, well, he means the one in, in, in Israel. No, no. This is the one in heaven. There's a Mount Zion in heaven too. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Well, there's the first answer to our question, who lives in New Jerusalem? A bunch of angels, right? Then in verse 23, he says, You're also come to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Oh, now we see that there's not just angels in New Jerusalem, there are spirits in New Jerusalem, the spirits of men. Their bodies aren't there yet. No bodies are there except for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then it says they are the spirits of just men made perfect. Sorry, ladies, the Bible says there's just men in heaven. It says that, right? Yeah. Uh, of course, if we push that too far, it means that 
just men need to be made perfect, whereas the ladies are already perfect, right? Did I redeem myself with that one? Maybe this will help. Did you, did you know that I can prove that Paul didn't write Hebrews, that it was a woman? You do know that, don't you? Look across the page and look at chapter 13 and verse 22. After writing a long 13-chapter letter, he says, I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter in few words. Only a woman would call 13 chapters a few words. I should have quit when I was ahead, shouldn't I? Well, by now you're awake enough to know that what he's talking about when he says the spirits of just men, he means justified men, men who were made just made righteous their spirits at least are there what does it mean they were made perfect well i think he has the old testament saints in mind you know in the old testament when they died they went to sheol the heart of the earth called paradise right they had to go there until christ paid for their sins after that paradise was moved paul later said i was caught up to paradise yeah that's when the spirits of these just men were made perfect, you see. All right. Now we know who lives in New Jerusalem, justified spirits. What do we know about them from uh, Galatians chapter 4? Let's go back there, Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians 4, it says, Jerusalem, which is above God's, Eternal heavenly city is free. Well, who lives in a free city? What kind of men live in a free city? Free men, right? You know, you got Philippi over there, Acts 16, said they were a Roman colony, which meant they were free citizens of the Roman Empire. Jerusalem, which is above, was a free city, and all the spirits living there are free from the law, got there justified without the law of Moses. They were free. They were unlike the citizens of the earthly Jerusalem that Paul just said, they're not free. They're in bondage with all their children. And notice what Paul says about these guys, uh, of this city in verse 26. It's the mother of us all. If you're here tonight and you're saved, you got saved without the law of Moses, didn't you? You got saved without the law of Moses. Abraham is your spiritual father. We're going to see that in Romans later on. Sarah is your spiritual mother. You received salvation as a gift by God's promise. You rest, you're resting in that promise. You're not trying to help God keep his promise by messing with the law of Moses. Now, in verse 27, he says, for it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate has a whole lot more children than she which hath a husband. Now, when Paul talks about the barren mother, who's that? Now, I have a different view of this. I've heard this view differently. Some of the brethren think that that's... Um, but that's Hagar, but I don't think Hagar was ever barren. I think Sarah was. I think it's talking about Sarah. But 
But then the rest of the verse seems a little confusing. He says, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not in labor. For the desolate, the barren, has more children than she which hath a husband. Well, now we got a problem. Because Sarah is the mother of what group of people? The Jews. And Hagar is the mother of what group of people? The Arabs. And let me tell you, friends, there has never, as far as I understand the Bible, there has never been a time in the history of the world when there's been more Jews than there's been Arabs. So do we have a mistake in the Bible here? Well, you know better than that. Let's look up the verse that Paul's quoting. Put a marker here because we're going to go all the way back to the book of Isaiah and the 54th chapter, Isaiah 54. Um, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, then comes Isaiah. It's right before Jeremiah and Lamentations and Ezekiel in your Bible. Isaiah 54. At no time in the history of the world has there been more Jews than Arabs. Uh, so either the Bible's wrong there or there's got to be another explanation, and there is. Now, the first thing you notice about Isaiah 54 is it comes right after chapter 53, right? <laughs> you ought to be real sharp to catch that, but I noticed it. And Isaiah 53 is the big chapter on Christ's death for sin, isn't it? Look at verse 11. In Isaiah 53, 11, 53 now, 53, 11, Speaking of God the Father, it says, God will see of the travail of the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ as he hangs on Calvary and suffers for your sin. God says, I'm going to look down and see it and shall be satisfied. If you're here tonight and you're still trying to satisfy God with your own good works, you don't have to do that. God is already satisfied with what Christ did for your sin. He'll see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, by knowing Christ as Savior, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he'll bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. He'll divide the spoil with the strong, because he's poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And so what are you supposed to, how do you think you should respond to that? What's the first word of chapter 54? Sing! Isn't that the first thing you felt like doing when you found out Christ paid for your sins? Yeah. But then he says, Sing, O barren, thou didst not, that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Well, here we still got the same problem. When have there been more Jews than Arabs? This is the verse Paul is quoting. Well, I got a question for you. When in the course of human history is Isaiah 54 talking about? Well, prophetically, it's what was supposed to happen right after the cross of chapter 53, right? 
And what was supposed to happen right after the cross? The kingdom! Hey, if the dispensation of grace had not interrupted the prophetic program, they'd have gotten the kingdom. And there's a description of the kingdom in the next verses. Look at verse 2. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not. Lengthen the cords of the tent. Strengthen the tent stakes. Hey, you know what? When you start adding on to your house, it usually means you're expecting children. Isn't that the case? Well, they lived in tents in those days, so they didn't add it, you know, didn't call the two by fours and the and the cement and instead they they stretched the curtain. They lengthened the tent cords. They strengthened the stakes that were tying the tent down because the tent was about to start bursting at the seams. Listen, in the kingdom, Israel's going to be pushing the walls out. And guess who's coming to dinner? Look at the next verse. In verse 3, For thou shalt break forth on thy right hand and on thy left hand, and thy seed will inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. If the age of grace had never happened, my friends, God had a plan for the Gentiles. Yeah. They would join believing Israel, and they would become part of the believing seed of Abraham. And you add to that the fact that at that time the Old Testament saints will be raised Here's the Old Testament resurrected saints. The believing Gentiles have come and now they're part of the seed of Abraham. You think maybe there'll be more Jews, more real Jews, more genuine Jews at that time than there will be Arabs? I think so. And if you're not sure, don't forget that what comes before the kingdom but the battle of Armageddon when all the unbelievers die! Let me tell you, at the outset of the kingdom, Sarah's going to rise from the dead and, and look around and say, man, I got more children than Hagar ever imagined. My spiritual children are as the sand of the sea. And the tent of Israel is going to have to be greatly enlarged to accommodate them all. You know, Solomon reigned over Israel during the zenith of their history. I mean, it was the grandest part of their history. They were bigger than they ever were at any other time, as far as I know. And as far as I understand it, the territory that they ruled over, he ruled over, was 30,000 square miles. 30,000 square miles. Do you know how much land God promised Abraham? If you do the figuring from Joshua 1 verse 4 and say, okay, it's from this river to that sea and from here to there, it's 300,000 miles that God promised to Abraham. And that's how big the tent's going to get to accommodate all these believers. Now, maybe by now you're wondering, why is Paul quoting this verse if none of this is going to happen till the kingdom comes? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Let's look at Romans chapter 4. <laughs> Romans chapter 4. Romans in the fourth chapter. And that means I have five more minutes, remember. Romans chapter 4. 
In verse 16, Paul says in Romans 4.16, speaking of salvation, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure. My friends, if you're not saved tonight, the only way you're ever going to be saved and sure of it is if it's by grace through faith. Because if you have to do anything to be saved, you can never be sure you did it right, and you can never be sure you did it enough. But you can be sure Christ did enough on Calvary's cross. And so if you have faith in God's grace in giving you the blood of Christ, you can be sure. And this assurance, it says, comes to all Abraham's seed, not only that which is of the law, but that which is also the, of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Sarah was the mother of us all, father, uh, and, and Abraham's the father of us all. Now, my dear friends, look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee, God said to Abraham, a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead, took Abraham's dead body and gave it life so he could have a child and calls those things which be not as though they already were. You ought to underline those last words. They are key to understanding a lot of things in the scripture. God called Abraham, Abraham, father of the multitude, before he had even one child. Why did he do that? Because he's a God that calls those things which be not as though they were. Because God promised him a multiplied seed, in God's mind it was as good as done. <laughs> he said, I can call it done. Because I promised it, and it's going to happen. You know what? Over in Romans 8, when Paul talks about you and says, them he justified, he glorified, that's in the past tense. You are already glorified as far as God is concerned. And as I look out, some of you look a little more glorious than ever, than others. But as far as God's concerned, it's already done. You go over to Ephesians 2, he says he's already made us to sit in heavenly places. We're already there as far as he's concerned because he's promised we're going to get there. It's as good as done. He calls things which be not as though they were. So what's this got to do with what we're talking about? Oh, I think the Galatians were like a lot of Christians and they were intimidated because there's so few of us and so many legalistic unbelievers and they began to think, well, they must be right. There's so many of them. But listen, that's going to change in the resurrection, isn't it? In that day, there's going to be a whole lot more of us and there will be of them. And I think when, what Paul is doing there as we go back to Galatians, he's trying to assure them it's already true. Yes, on the resurrection day there's going to be a whole lot more of us than them. But it's already true. As far as God is concerned, the seed that count, there's already more of us than there are of them. And I think Paul wanted us to see it the way God sees it. Paul wants us to see everything the way God sees it. To see things with the eyes of faith. 
Remember when Elisha's servant got scared because they were surrounded? And what did Elisha pray? Lord, open his eyes so he could see there's a whole lot more of us than there are of them. That's what God wants you to see tonight because sometimes it's so easy. All these bigger groups filled with apostates. They must be right. There's so many of them. No, that's not the case at all. In verse 28 he says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, Galatians 4.28, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. Even so it is now. You know why Ishmael persecuted Isaac? Ishmael persecuted Isaac because he resented him. Because the birthright had just been handed to him. Because God promised it to him. And today, the birthright of being a son of God is just handed to you. Because God has promised salvation to all who simply believe in him. And let me tell you, the legalists resent it. The legalists resent that the birthright of the Son of God is just handed to you. They don't like it when you talk like that. That's easy believism. That's cheap grace. Oh yeah, it's cheap. Didn't cost me a thing. But don't you dare call it cheap. It cost God the, the death of His Son and it cost His Son His life's blood. Nothing cheap about the blood of Christ. The legalists resent the fact that you're saved by the grace of God. It was just handed to you. And they persecute you. Say, I don't get persecuted. You ever get mocked? Go back and read Genesis 21. That's how Ishmael mocked, uh, persecuted Isaac. It says here he persecuted him. Go back there, it just says he mocked him. They can mock all they want. Meanwhile, the Word of God still says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Verse 30, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. You go back here. Well, I was going to go back there. We're obviously out of time. You go back there and read the story when God told Abraham, cast out that bondwoman. 